Locked and Down, The Reset with Cindy Paluta is brought to you by Salal. Mind, body, Salal. 702 presents Locked and Down podcast. The Reset with Cindy Paluta. Hi, and thank you for joining me, Cindy Paluta, on this, the final episode of Locked and Down the Reset. In this series, I've been joined by some amazing guests to unpack life after lockdown, the heaviness of it all, the lingering anxiety, depression, coping with grief, the difficulty of returning to work and social situations, affected relationships and burnout. And we spoke about how this has affected our children too. I've said this before, while COVID was the worst of times, the one thing I am grateful for is the spot light has now been shone on mental health and just how important it is to not only look after your physical health, but your mental health too. And the whole way through this podcast series, we've spoken about reset, reset, reset. But how do we reset in a lasting way? So once again, I'm calling in the experts. And today we're leaning on Mark Joseph from the Mindful Revolution, who claims to have the best job in the world, teaching people to be happy through mindfulness. He's worked with corporates to teach employees how to be resilient, more innovative and more comfortable in a rapidly changing world. And whether you're in the office space or not, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to use his tools to move forward. Now, I don't want you to give away your entire course, Mark, but we hope you can give us a few basics to help us navigate through next year. A term we've heard popping up so much lately is mindfulness. So if you could just briefly explain to those who might not know, what is mindfulness? Yeah, thanks, Cindy, for inviting me onto this special podcast. And yeah, it's just really awesome that it's the I'm here at the last one. I feel it's kind of auspicious and a nice way to wrap it up. What is mindfulness? That's a big question. In fact, I heard recently there's over a hundred definitions of mindfulness. I originally came in, into contact with mindfulness as a practice when I was in the Himalayas. I traveled uh, throughout Asia extensively and then I lived in a temple for three years practicing daily meditation and mindfulness. And the word for mindfulness in Asia in Sanskrit actually is, it's, the word is called sati, S-A-T-I. And okay. it just means to recall, to remember. But as mindfulness has moved into the Western world through the help of the Beatles, Ramdas, Richard Alpert, and the whole psychedelic movement in the 60s, and now in the 80s, the early 80s, from an incredible doctor, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who really secularized mindfulness and said he, he just stripped all the sort of spirituality or religion out of it and said, this is the practice that's going to save our brain. This is the practice that's going to save our mental health. So he coined a definition, and it's a definition that I build my entire work around, which is beautiful. And it's just the core of everything. If I could get a tattoo on my body, this would be it, you know. So mindfulness can be cultivated by paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, and in the present moment. So I I normally say those are the four Ps. And with the three attitudes of non-reactivity, open-heartedness, and non-judgment. Sure. Yeah. Non-judgment is a very, very hectic one, especially, and I'm sure difficult to do, especially with social media. Yeah. So it's more like of a practice. It's Mm. of a way of doing things. It's a, it's a, this are a few things we can do to actually get 
to help your mental health. And it's backed by science, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely. Um, I think that's where it became really interesting for me because I suffered from anxiety. I, in fact, when I was young, I was working in the advertising industry oh. for a client you might have heard of called Pick and Pay. Okay. And I was uh, an accounts manager, client service, and my dad had died of suicide three years prior and my mental health was just all over the place. And I, I, I was literally having between 10 and 15 panic attacks a day. You know, the stigma around mental health, I was hiding. I was shameful. Yeah. I didn't want anyone to see me having those panic attacks. So I would have them in, 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 in secret. Yeah. And then my mom actually sent me to a motivational therapist. And that was in the 90s. And I was like, oh, here we go, a shrink, you know. And I was just interested in partying and having fun and and now like I'm going to the shrink and now I feel damaged and, and out of control. And she just taught me to breathe. Breathing. And I was like, what's she doing? You know, this is my mom's money you're wasting. Like, why am I sitting here breathing for 10 minutes, like deeply? <laughs> and all of a sudden I started to feel this immense calm. And then she gave me a home practice to do. And every day I just had to do 10 minutes of this breathing and focus my mind in a particular way. And all of a sudden the anxiety just started to settle. And I had so much more clarity and I was like, this is it. I can't believe it because, you know, the first thing that happens when, when you suffer from depression or anxiety or anything is that you go to the GP and the GP says, right, here's a prescription. And my dad was on a whole concoction of, of certain, you know, of these um, uh, antidepressants, anti-anxieties, lithium, prothiamine, mm-hmm. whatever. And it just didn't work for him. It just made him worse. So mm-hmm. for me, I was like, I, I, I'm not going to touch that stuff. And I was gung-ho against it at the time. But I do now, obviously, my journey's come full circle and I recognize its place. But I decided to follow another path and that is the path of mindfulness. So living in the temple for three years... Very, very Asian influence, but incredible. I mean, it's ancient psychology. That's what it really is. Mm. It's, it's ancient wisdom. And then what happened with John Kabat-Zinn is he revived that ancient wisdom in a modern way. He published uh, papers on it. He wrote a book called Full Catastrophe Living, which is a really big, thick book, but it's just incredible about the findings of taking through people through an eight-week program. It's, it's called MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And he found that these people that were suffering from extreme pain, chronic pain, depression, just doing 45 minutes of mindful awareness every day, that they started to feel much better, that they overcame their depression, even their relationship with pain changed, and that they, a lot of them reported that they were feeling up to 70% less pain by just doing mindfulness practices. Less every day. physical less pain. Less physical pain pain. So, so I think a lot of people don't realize sometimes you, you've got a headache and it just won't go away or there's this knot in your back that just won't go away or um, strangely enough, the underneath of your feet, the soles of your feet actually carry a lot of nervous tension because you don't realize your nerves run through your entire body. So just by practicing mindfulness, you can actually release stress mm-hmm. and anxiety, which in turn allows your body to relax. Absolutely. Heal. Well, it's, it's very, I mean, it's, it's, it's the physiology of it. That's, that's why neuroscience and science is back mindfulness, because if you practice calming techniques, you're going to be calmer, right? And then when you're calmer, you're going to be, you won't be producing cortisol and adrenaline. And these are the, the you know, we're always in the fight, flight mm. or freeze mode when we are overwhelmed when we're burning out and then just taking a break, taking a pause, doing some exercises that can help you 
come back to homeostasis for your nervous system, and then you're in that parasympathetic nervous system state, which is the rest, digest, and mm. thrive, and you literally can take control of your stress. You have it in your hands and this is it. And you said something so key there. You said breathing. Mm. And earlier this week, I was just saying to my colleagues that, oh gosh, I wish I smoked. (laughs) Not because it's unhealthy. Um, I don't, listen, I don't smoke and I don't think it's a great idea. But I said just to go outside, it forces you to get up from your desk, to go outside for Mm. 10 minutes. You have to go somewhere far from the building. I think here you have to go down four flights and into the parking lot. (laughs) And then you're forced to stand there and it's actually breathing. Absolutely. It's actually the initial breathing. You know, um, can I just jump in here? Because it's so interesting you said that because I run uh, programs on innovation and, and design thinking creativity, whatnot. And when I talk to the smokers, I say, where do you have your best ideas? And they said, when I go for a cigarette. Now, it's not the cigarette that's giving them the best ideas. It was just that they stepped away from the roller coaster and saw it from an objective angle. And then they relaxed in the in that moment, which puts your brain in an alpha brainwave state, which is where creative ideas bubble up from. And whammo, that's that's where you start having great ideas. So this whole idea of just hustling and pushing and back to back and working late is destroying our ability to be innovative and make great decisions. Often when I'm running, which is not often, by the way, but sometimes when I'm running <laughs> in the street, I have the best ideas. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, we should do this. We should do that. And then I get home. As I walk in the door, the kids start, the dog starts, and everybody starts, and then I've forgotten that idea, and I wish I had written it down. So sometimes I actually wish I could run with a notepad and a pen (laughs) and just jot it all down. But I think it takes a lot of practice, Um, um, and I could see how mindfulness can benefit so many. So apart from breathing, what are are some of the other basic fundamentals, um, principles, and some techniques that you could pass on to us? Yeah, so breath work is is really special, and and there's many, many uh, different levels of breath work. Um, There's actually, there's a guy called Wim Hof, who I think everyone knows, they call him the Iceman, he's a Dutch guy, who swims in the ice, and he does a certain type of breathing that actually prepares the body for trauma so that you can cope with it more Uh, but I'm not going to go into that there's so many breathing techniques Um, the body scan is something that uh, is a fantastic practice that John Dr. John Kabat-Zinn introduced into the western world and it's just moving your awareness around your body and I find that is incredibly useful for insomniacs because why you know what keeps us up at night a lot of stuff Stuff where? Like, like in your head. In like your head, right. tomorrow's day and the day after and is Correct. my child happy and did I remember that, you know, to put up the Christmas tree yeah. and basic things. So that's the thing with, with anxiety, depression, is that we ruminate a lot about the negative. We okay. overthink. And, and we have negative bias and that's because of thousands and thousands of years of being mm-hmm. afraid as human species, you know. Because we were going to get attacked by the bear outside the cave. Oh, always. Yeah. I mean, Grant was saying the other day that, we were a hundred times more likely to die a violent death 12,000 years ago than a soldier in World War II. Okay. That's insane. Yes. <laughs> it's naturally within us to yeah. have that overthinking, overthinking and that rumination. It is. It's a survival technique, but okay. it's not serving us in this modern world. Okay. So we have to rewire our brain. According to neuroscience, they call it neuroplasticity, that the brain literally changes shape. And they were analyzing the brains of mindfulness practitioners compared to people that don't practice mindfulness. And they noticed many areas of the brain that grew and other areas of the brain that reduced, which is the amygdala, which is our fear center. So the changes are evident physically. 
What am I doing to grow my brain? Okay, so the practice. Body scan, moving your awareness around your body. So you're lying in bed, you can't sleep, your mind's ruminating, you got all your fears and your worries, and then you say, left foot. Mm? Left foot. And I think about my left and you, foot. And you move your awareness into your toes and you wiggle your toes. Okay. Uh, if your partner doesn't wake up. <laughs> and then you stop wiggling your toes and you move your awareness into your ankles and then your shins and your calves and your legs. And you just keep going. And then the other part of your mind, which is science calls, uh, the neuroscientists call it the subjective mind. So that subjective mind says, hey, 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 we got to think about stuff. You know, a lot of stuff's going on. We got to sort it out tonight. And, and the wise owl part of you, the observer says, listen, my friend, we've got to sleep. That's the most important thing mm. right now. So I'm going to switch you off. And the way we're going to do that is just shifting awareness. And it's a choice. So you choose to shift your awareness from your worries to something as arbitrary as, well, I can't say arbitrary, your body's pretty special and yeah. amazing. And we never really spend time in our bodies. We, we, we're not really embodied. Mm -hmm. We're more on our phones than, than aware. Another practice I like to do is every now and again, just lie on my back on the grass, look up at the clouds. The clouds are just so amazing at this time of year. Um, I find that really relaxing. I journal. I journal every day. I journal probably six, seven times a day. I find that is the most incredible practice for awareness. Nelson Mandela journaled. I mean, there's a beautiful book called Conversations with Myself, where all his letters, his journals, Mahatma Gandhi, even Madiba says in that book that every day he would meditate for 11 minutes on Robben Island. Um, so I'm yeah. so happy that you brought up journaling because I, I love listening to podcasts. I listen to, I read self-help books and everybody's always like journal, 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 journal. And then I get excited when I go to the shops because I'm like, I'm going to journal and which, who doesn't get excited to walk <laughs> into one of these shops and buy yourself stationery and you sit down and for a day and you're like, I'm going to find a quiet space. And then you sit down and you journal and it's great. And then day two comes along and then it's, oh, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to journal and you do it and it's great. And then day three comes along and suddenly now you've got deadlines at work, you've got this, you've got that, you're running around, the kids, everything's happening and day three goes and then you don't journal. Mm. And then maybe you journal on day four yeah. and then you don't for three days yeah. and then maybe, and before you know it, that journal is done. So how do we practically get into journaling? Mm. Like how do I make this an everyday thing? When life is busy, Mark, it is busy. Yeah, yeah. Look, do you know how many times we check our phones in a day? No, no, there's an app on your phone that can tell you this. On average, we check our phones every four minutes. Yeah. Okay, so how can we develop focus and clarity when we're looking at our phones? Do you know how many times we check our emails a day? Uh, but if you're running a business… On average, 90 times a day. Sure. So you're checking your phone 110 times a day. You're checking your emails 90 times a day. Where on earth are you going to find the time to do anything focused and constructive? We find time for social media, but we generally we just can't fit it in somehow. Yeah. So what I like to do personally is, is I read uh, uh, James Clear's book called Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've read it. And he talks about how the science of habit formation. He talks about something called habit stacking. And habit stacking is like, if you want to start journaling, link it with something else. So I like to look at social media, right? But what I'll do is I'll, I'll have my little journal app next to my social media app. And before I go into social media, I'll journal. And that's called habit stacking. 
That's a tough one, though, because you'd be on your phone, let's just say, for example, journaling for the day through your app, and then you get a WhatsApp that comes through which distracts you, and now you've stopped journaling. (laughs) I almost want to say that you need to say, okay, cool, these are the things that have to happen in my day. I have Mm. to go to work. I have to do this. I have to do that. But for 10 minutes at 5 o'clock or for 10 minutes at 3 o'clock, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to journal. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be long. It's just short and sweet. So my journal is about celebrating myself. When I journal, I write stuff that I liked, that I did. I gave, I was generous, I was helpful and good stuff. So when I open my journal, when I write, I'm celebrating myself. I'm also using it for gratitude. So I'm focusing, I'm rewiring my brain. I'm rewiring my negative bias because my ancient brain is scanning the environment for threat, okay? Why can't I scan the environment for fun and, and playfulness mm. and, and opportunities? So that's a literally a rewire and, and science says that's what we can do. We can literally rewire our brains in, in that way. So that's what I use my journal for. What am I grateful for and what really went well today and what am I, what am I happy with about myself? Because I've got to ramp up my self-love and my self-worth. Because no one else is going to do no it for you. No one else is going to do it. No. And if you're having a sad day, you can actually, if you sit in your journal and you go, okay, why am I sad? You know, sometimes you're like, I'm sad, but I don't know why. And if you actually sit and think, why am I sad? And you start writing it out, you'll uh, be amazed at how you can come to the conclusion yourself. Absolutely. I mean, so many times, see, this is the, the, the cornerstone of mindfulness is awareness. Now, if you look at emotional intelligence, okay, you've got four pillars of emotional intelligence. You've got self-awareness, self-management. Other awareness, other management. Now, that whole EQ model falls on its face if you don't have self-awareness and self-management. Mindfulness is all about self-awareness and self-management. So often when I run my groups, I check in with them. How are you today on a scale of one to 10? What number would you give yourself? 10 being I'm really great, one being I'm super down. And they're confused. They're like, oh, maybe I'm a six. or, mm. And it's an important question mm. because if they're a three or a two, Oh, wow. Well, then today's the day to go for that long lunch. Today's the day to reach out to your colleagues and say, I need help. Or if you're an eight or nine or 10 out of 10, today's the day to max out what you need to get done to face those difficult conversations or to reach out and help a colleague. That's a two or a three. Yeah. And you can almost ask yourself how you are doing out of 10 throughout the day Yeah, because you might start as a 10 and by lunchtime you're a one. Correct. Can you give me a practical example of mindfulness in everyday work life? Is it something that I have to go into a room and sit down and be by myself? Or is it something I can actually just do while I'm driving in the car or while I'm, you know, sitting in public transport? Yeah. (laughs) It's brain gym. So you brushed your teeth this morning, right? Mm, I did. Absolutely. Absolutely. We all brushed our teeth this morning. That's a dental health practice, right? Mm -hmm. And when did that start? When you were little, because your yeah. parents teach it to you, right? Exactly. But did your, te- did your parents teach you stress reduction techniques? Did, no. they, did they teach you mindfulness? Did no. they teach you how to look after your brain? No. You know, um, I call it a mental floss mm. that you have to do every day. So is it quick and easy? Yeah, it's easy. So having a coffee, I, I, I actually have a coffee. I can tune into my coffee and I can put my phone down. I can just smell. I can feel the warmth of the cup, I can taste the coffee and I can fully engage and be present with my coffee and enjoy it. But a lot of the time we don't even know we're drinking coffee because we're doing something else. Now it's holiday time. So soon people are going to be making their way to the coast or wherever. And I I know before I started practicing mindfulness, you sit on the beach and then you're like, 
What's next? Let's have an ice cream. Let's go and do this. Let's, let's do something. Let's do something. Do something. Do something. Let's do something. And I love what John Kabat-Zinn, he says, you know what? We need to be human beings rather than human doings mm. um, because it's always what's next, what's next. And we can't just sit and look at the ocean and just stay there. How do we relax if we can't do that? I can tell you, you can go to a spa, you can get a treatment done, but your mind is still thinking of that person that mm. upset you yesterday. Then you, you're experiencing something with the body, but the mind is still suffering. So Mark, before I let you go, what are your top five reset tips for 2023? For me, boundaries, number one, say no. I like to think of boundaries as more like, can we postpone? Because <laughs> yes. to say no to your boss would be like not a great career move. Mm. So create those boundaries with other people and create boundaries with yourself. You don't have to check your emails all the time. You don't have to look at your phone all the time. Like set times. Uh, according to, to Gloria Mark from the University of California, she says we should be checking our emails four times a day for, sure. for maximum productivity. There are a lot of people listening going, oh. They're going, no way. Oh, but can we, can we find a, a happy medium between yeah. 90 and four? External boundaries and internal boundaries. That's number one. Next, next one is self-love. I find that burnout exists mainly because people extend themselves because they're trying to fit in, because they're trying to prove something to their boss. People will, will message you or phone you at 11 o'clock at night, a work call. If you answer their call, you're educating people how to treat you. You're opening a can of worms exactly. that you will not be able to close. And it's because of low self-worth, mm. because you feel that you need to prove that you're more worthy. Mm. So, and that's a major key for burnout. Boundaries, self-worth. Journaling, we're going to try yeah. journal. So being playful, because we've come out of this like hectic death zone of COVID and yeah. misery and grief and loss and long COVID is still a problem. Next year, I'm going to focus on being joyful and playing. So when you take a mindful break, can you play? Yeah. Go juggle or go for a walk or play with your pets or mm. do something fun. Do something you did as a, as a kid, even if it's coloring in 100%. or playing with Play-Doh. Line your back and look at the clouds for five minutes and then go back to work. You're allowed to do Lego. Um, Another one is, uh, is curiosity, to just be curious. To be curious, why am I having this internal talk? Why am I bullying myself? Mm. Where does this come from? Why is this person behaving like this? Are they a complete idiot or am I missing something? Mm. You know, because I'm judging, judging. I mean, we just judge all the time. Yeah. And most of these judgments are coming from our own self-conditioning or mm. not self-conditioning that we've experienced in life and our thoughts around that. So to be curious is a superpower, mm. really. And, and we do that through mindfulness. And then I think the, the last one is just to pause, you know, to practice the pause. One person that did my mindfulness teacher training said to me, Mark, what your 14-week program gave me was three seconds. I said, three seconds. I was hoping for journaling. I was hoping for meditation, some yoga. You know, he said, three seconds. I said, what does that mean? He said, before I say or do anything, I count to three. Yo, Mark, wow, what great lessons. If only more of us could master that life-saving three-second rule, hey? I've truly loved talking to you. And if you want to contact Mark, you can. Just check out Mindful Revolution. Mark, again, thank you so much for contributing your wealth of experience to our grand finale, Locked and Down, the Reset Special. Coming up, I'll introduce you to someone who feels we shouldn't be looking back at life before COVID. She rather wants us to use mindfulness as the gateway to us making the most of the reality we find ourselves in today. It's said that health is wealth and in the pursuit of wellness, many are looking beyond medicines that manage symptoms and choosing supplements that can provide real health solutions in support of more holistic lifestyles. 
Solal offers a comprehensive range that combines micronutrients with concentrated plant extracts. Only the highest quality ingredients to nourish your body and mind with essential vitamins for overall health. Mind. Body. Solal. Locked and Down Podcast. The Reset. With Cindy Paluta. I promised you an extended special episode of this final Locked and Down The Reset. My second guest is educational psychologist and life coach, Dr. Sapiso Matenji. She's going to share her insights. Now, when I first approached her, she pointed out that I was wanting to do this interview on her self-care day. She does not work on Fridays. There's a lot we can learn from this woman. So welcome, doctor. And thanks for agreeing to break your rule for me. Tell me, in your practice, what are the most people struggling with at the moment? There's that insidious pressure to be perfect, to be back to normal, that we've actually, and I've been using this word a lot, that we've weaponized being normal, that our relationship hasn't recovered. It's not normal. We need to be normal again because there seems to be a denial and an overwhelming sense that the changes have ruined, have taken away or deteriorated what we had before, who we were before. And if things could just resort back to normal, then everything would be okay. You'll feel like you've got control again, you'll feel like you're on the right track, you'll feel like everything that, that needs to happen will happen as it was planned. And people are adjusting to the change and wanting to have a reset and go back to the past instead of embracing the present and recognizing why the present is what it is and how to learn as much as they need to and capitalize on all of those opportunities and the beauties of that are being revealed whether in terms of your own personality or your relationship or whatever the challenges are, there's always key learnings that you can take out of it. And when you are constantly stuck on the past because you want to resort to that version of normal, then you also miss out on the opportunity to use that mindfulness and the presence of mind to find and cultivate the type of reality you want in the present. And you bemoan where you are and you you actually miss out on the things that you can be grateful for and the things that you can actually grow and prepare your development to the next phase of your life. And I'm so happy that you use the word mindfulness because mindfulness is something that we're hearing more of. What do you say to your clients when you say, okay, these are the basic techniques you can use for mindfulness? So I, I try to make people recognize when it is that when they are mindful, because sometimes it sounds like uh, something that is cliche and, you know, it's overused examples. And you've asked people, for example, when you are driving or when you are having a bath or when you are making a cup of coffee, where is your mind? What are you actually doing? Do you notice what are the things, the rituals that you go through when you're getting ready for work? And do you have the ability to stay present in the activity that you're doing in the moment? Recognize, for example, when you're having a bath, the smell of the soap, how it feels on your skin, all of your senses, how they're awakened, how they're able to embrace the moment and how that has an effect on where your mind is at, but also physically how you feel and emotionally, if there's any emotions that come up, if there's any memories that go, or do you escape and just go through it on autopilot? So you try to use examples that relate to you so that you are able to recognize what you look like, what you sound like, how you show up when you're being mindful and when you are are not exercising mindfulness. So that begins first in creating a level of, uh, you do have pride and you do have experience in terms of how to exercise mindfulness. And then is an issue of when you are actually going through a place of, or if you're going through some distressing moments or when you are unhappy or you've got a spike in emotions and because you are in distress, you are struggling to stay present and you rather want to jump ahead into, into, into solution focused or to go into blaming and being hypercritical. How can you exercise mindfulness? 
mindfulness in that regard. So that if a person is able to aware that actually cleaning my house makes me calm down, it allows me to relax, it allows me to exert all of that uh, pent up energy and, 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 and stress. And then once I've done it, I'm able to calm down. And when I'm calm down, I have clarity. I am able to actually look at the situation from a different perspective. And then I'm also able to find renewed energy and feel a sense of accomplishment. Say, so, okay, I can do this because now my house, my space is clean. So you get them to connect to those types of examples. And it becomes important also to make people recognize that what allows them to stay present and mindful, connected to their environment, their, their mind, their, their, their body, and their emotions can be different things for different people. It doesn't always have to be one size fits all. And for some people, it's as simple as being able to listen to gospel music or being able to, to pray and meditate on the word when they're reading their Bibles. So those types of opportunities create practical examples that can be hooks for people to know how can I relate it to myself. But then the key thing about mindfulness in terms of staying present is how you recognize the alignment within that you are present in terms of all of your senses, all six of your senses, that your cognitive, your emotional, as well as your physical domain are all connected and actually focused on where you are without a level of judging yourself or being critical or just letting yourself be distracted by problems and things that have happened in the past or in the future, but just living in the now and savoring and doing what it needs to do to actually cultivate whatever the reality is that you want to have for yourself. So if I understand you correctly, it's literally if I'm in a moment and I'm feeling a certain emotion and I don't know why I'm feeling this emotion, feel it, go with it, try and understand why you're feeling it. Try not to move too fast forward through it, but don't say stuck there, but just be aware of of the things around you, how your body is interacting with the world. And sometimes when your friends are talking to you, take a moment and go, am I listening to this conversation or am I thinking of what I have to do next? Absolutely. And that is called interoception, is the ability to be able to tune in within, within yourself, intrapersonally, but also to tune in with people in your environment. And when you have that level of awareness, it actually allows you to be able to choose how you engage. And sometimes when you reflect, you actually realize you're getting triggered by the same things. If you write it down, it can actually help you to realize what is that main theme that is triggering you all the time. Yes, absolutely. So that, 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 that ability to go back allows you to connect the dots, find patterns, and then be able to question also why the patterns are there. Because sometimes when you're uh, embroiled in the moment, you don't have that perspective to be able to recognize those types of patterns. But the other thing about exercising mindfulness and then being able to record what you're going, holding space for it, and then coming back to reflect on it later, is that you are able to gain not just new insights, but also find new possibilities on what can I do differently? What can I change? What needs to change in order for me to be able to be at a better place? But also, what does that better place look like for me in this context, in this time, given what else has happened in my life? So that you actually let go of what the old version of you used to be and you embrace what the current version of you is and what would work best for them in this moment going forward as well. I love that. So, doctor, as we prepare for 2023, what would your big tips for a successful reset be? Um, You know, we talk about self-care a lot. Just the opportunity to be able to tune within yourself, recognize what your needs are and what you need to do 
to be able to take care of yourself. I, a lot of us outsource self-care to our partners, our children, our dogs, um, our jobs and other people that absolutely innocently do not even know how to take care of us because perhaps even we haven't even given them permission to take care of us because we are always rescuing and taking care of them. And secondly, take as frequent breaks as you need to because a lot of us, it's the end of the year. We are tired. We are fatigued. You are already feeling groggy and like, oh, can this year end already? And work and life does not give you a break. You have to be the one who chooses to take yourself a break. And it doesn't mean that you need to take all of December off or you need to wait until uh, we are on the 16th. But what you can do is that during the day, take 30 minutes. A power nap can be very helpful. But also I'll allow yourself, for example, when you're taking frequent breaks to literally shut down. There's no point in you saying you're taking a break and you're on TikTok. That's not a break. There's no point in you taking a break and then you're calling your mom who's going to stress you about your brother who has not done what they needed to do for the year. So that's not a break. So recognize what a break looks like for you, what rest looks like, and recognize also that the rest has to be, for it to be restful, it is replenishing, it is restorative, it is invigorating, it is also calming if that's what you need. So recognize that we need to be able to reduce that adrenaline and we can't always be running on adrenaline. We need to just decompress so that we are able to find again and restore and regroup and then have renewed strength to start again. You, you've said it. It's very important that when we are having the me time, we don't feel guilty about it, regardless of what you do. Don't think, oh, but you know what? I was supposed to go buy school shoes or, oh, but you know what? I was supposed to do this or I was supposed to do that. If you have scheduled time to yourself, even if it's half an hour, you can be selfish for that half an hour and the rest of the world will carry on for the rest of the 23 and a half hours of the day. Absolutely. And for the record, how then do you sharpen your sword if you do not do it, if you don't take that time to do it for yourself. So if you're going to feel guilty, it contaminates and derails the whole process. And then as a result, you're even going to shorten it and it's not going to have the effects that it needs to. And I think for people, they begin to notice how how, how restorative mental health care or self-care activities are when they begin to notice the benefits. But also what's going to work for them is very individual. There's no one size fits all. What works for you, Cindy, is not going to work for me. But also what works for me at 48 might not have worked for me when I was 45. So I need to recognize developmentally and chronologically where I am right now and what are the things that I need and adapt accordingly. And it's okay to let go of certain things that used to work in the past, but right now they do not work. That's okay. Dr. Tsipisa Matenji, I can sit here all afternoon and speak to you all day. You are a wise, wise woman. You have given us such valuable tools. Thank you so unbelievably much for your time, especially on your mental wellness day. (laughs) Well, if it helps other people, I would appreciate it. It's, It's all in a day's work. And thank you so much for thinking of me and including me in your podcast. If you are triggered by anything you've heard today and you do need help, remember SADC has a 24-hour helpline, 0800-456-789. They will link you to many wonderful experts who are willing to assist. Or if you feel you might be in need of counseling, why not reach out to Lifeline, lifeline lifeline.co.za, and fill out a counseling request form. They counsel for free. To everyone who's gone on this journey with me, thank you. But it is ongoing and it doesn't end here. Please share this podcast with others who you think could benefit from it. And thank you to our sponsor, Salal, for supporting this series. You can tweet your comments to me, at Cindy Paluta, and remember to use the hashtag, The Reset. Until then, be kind to yourself. And remember, navigating through a pandemic was not easy. 702 presents Locked and Down Podcast. The Reset. With Cindy Paluta.
Locked and Down the Reset with Cindy Paluta was brought to you by Salel. Mind, body, Salel.